0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Jazz United. This is Greg Bryant here, your host of Jazz After Hours on WBGO. And this is Nate Chenin,
1: Editorial Director at WBGO. Jazz United is our show and it's all about the music, but it's also all about our thoughts about the music. Is that a That's little too right. meta? <laughs> um, I am so excited about this episode because mm-hmm. we are celebrating a living legend Um, Yes. Someone who means so much to the music. And I am speaking of the great composer, band leader, pianist, Carla uh, Bley, who who is about to turn 85. Uh, She is an NEA jazz master, Mm -hmm. and she is one of our heroes. The music at the top of this episode was a little different. Mm -hmm. This was in honor of Carla. We put on Ida Lupino right uh and we put on i think this was the very first recording of this song
0: paul blaze trio um literally one year after he split from carla blaze he decides to do this full album of her tunes and it's incredible for esp records uh, steve swallows the bassist barry Altschul is the drummer and uh that was a good choice to put us in the right spirit for our conversation today
1: you know it's really been kind of a standard you know uh, mm-hmm. not not that many contemporary jazz composers can can say that that they've that they've written a song right that that people love to play and this is one of those examples
0: but as we get into this conversation um we're going to understand why because she is in this community of musicians that play each other's songs and that's something that i would love to see come back on our scene yeah
1: not only play each other's songs but like pass them around like, you Mm -hmm. know, like like Mm -hmm. a joint or something. Um,
0: I got to point out right here really quickly. um, Our producer today is Simon Rentner, and he knows a little something about Oakland. But uh, Carla Blay is from Oakland. That tripped me out, man. I I really didn't know that, (laughs) just associating her with hip New York, you know, clientele. Carla Blay does not have the usual... Background
1: for a jazz musician. Um, Truth. Her father Emil Borg was a church organist, mm-hmm. and you know when we talk about musicians who come out of the church, we're not talking about <laughs> the gospel church, right? <laughs> this is we're talking about like high Anglican, you know, about corrals and Yeah, and right. Here. Which mm-hmm. is a, which is so fascinating to me because you hear that influence in her music, yes. like right up to right the away. present day. You know, she she has such a deep understanding of that of the kind of you know, the chorales and the cantatas and, like, just that whole, like, um, Baroque tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she was a young woman who really sort of defined herself by opposition to the sort of middle-class norm. She really was Mm -hmm. kind of renegade, but couldn't help but be influenced by her father and by her surroundings. Still, she went as far away as she could, and that ended up being New York City, she took a job that uh, that no longer exists, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah. but she became a coat check girl at Birdland. Right? And so, you know, you think about the opportunities available to a young woman who is drawn to the music. And this was mm-hmm. one of them, you know, because That's right. like on the one hand, it's this extremely gendered job that she has. And she's mm-hmm. you know, working for TIPS and what have you. But yeah. on the other hand, as she told me, she got to hear the Basie
0: Band mm-hmm. up close, mm-hmm. night yeah. after
1: night, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and she wasn't was... working, man. So, she she was studying. Yeah, she was studying.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Leave me alone about cigarettes. I'm right. trying to hear bassity. Right. You know? What's that chord Miles and them just played? You know, it's that kind of scene.
1: She witnesses so much and through just being there on the scene, that's how she meets uh, a number of musicians, including Paul Blay.
0: He's a very interesting uh, character in in the history of the music, <laughs> to say the least. You know, yeah. I, I don't have time to go into his full uh, measure of personality. The DNA of these trios that are, are are so cherished now, like I'm thinking of Chick Corea and, and Keith Jarrett, um, and even linking with more uh, exploratory uh, folks like Cecil Taylor, Paul Blay is right in the mist. And again, um, his companion at the time uh, is this young a uh, composer, almost a wonderkin. I'm really combing uh, my literature and, and, and online resources. I don't really see where, besides her father, Carla Blay formally studied with anyone. Mm-hmm. And if I'm true on that, she's even more of, of a miracle. Um, yeah. you, you think about, again, you're talking about Paul Blay here, these angular compositions that are these perfect skeleton frameworks or settings for these amazing improvisations. They make you want to play these songs, and they're not like anything else. He had a jewel, he had a gem, and he knew it. Paul Blake was Mm -hmm. such a genius improviser, and so
1: ahead of his time. But one thing that he didn't feel all that confident about was his composing. It's just amazing to think about this moment where he knows Carla, he knows that she's writing tunes, and he's like, hey, why don't you write some tunes for me? And so that sparks this whole fire, right? It's like mm-hmm. she has a vehicle for her compositions. And sh- man, she takes that and runs with it. That's a, a good segue to another piece of music, another blay
0: tune. Good call, Vashkar.
1: Several years ago, um, well, I guess it was five years ago, because it, it was when she was turning 80, mm-hmm. I went to Carla's house, to the, the house that she shares with uh, the bassist Steve Swallow oh, cool. uh, up in the Hudson Valley, and we had a really nice afternoon. And one of the things that we talked about was the early insecurity that she had as a composer hmm. um, and and how, you know, okay, Paul Blay is playing her tunes, but, you know, he's obviously in the circle, um, and so it was when George Russell decided mm. to uh, record one of her songs. So he asked to use her composition Bent Eagle on the album Stratus Funk.
2: Carla Bley wrote a piece called Bent Eagle.
1: She felt this enormous validation, you know? Right. Like, like whoa, people actually want to deal with this material that I've created, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, and so Carla and Steve both talked about what a, what a huge deal that was at the time. One of the things she told me during that conversation was that around this time she was seeing a um a psychiatrist you know like a okay. therapist and uh she told this guy like that she was thinking about being a composer and he suggested electroshock therapy what yeah oh so my goodness. so you know when we talk about like, needing validation as a young mm-hmm. woman in this music. Yeah. She's saying, like, I am a composer, and someone is like, yeah, you, you've got delusions of grandeur. Oh, like, my goodness. Like, get back in your lane, you know? This is what she's up against. And thankfully, people like George Russell, people like Jimmy Jewfrey, who is recording Carla's songs in his trio with Paul Blay and Steve Swallow, there's this early embrace of, mm-hmm. of what she's generating. You know, I, I should also include vibraphonist Gary Burton in that Yes, you should. And so it's really remarkable what she was up against, um, mm-hmm. but also the, the kind of community that supported her.
0: This community is developing uh, in the mid-60s, uh, even when she breaks away from Paul Blay and meets uh, trumpeter Michael Mantler, uh, the Austrian uh, trumpeter. There's a period in our music of upheaval. Um, some people were calling it free jazz, other people the new thing. Um, but there was a, a group of, of musicians that put on a festival headed by trumpeter, Bill Dixon, the October Revolution. And it birthed this uh, community of, of uh, like-minded, empathetic, uh, forward-thinking composers and improvisers. Yeah. And the whole uh, situation that's a recurring theme on this show, you know, self-reliance, self-motivation, uh, these guys uh, and women are finding this community that they can not only perform their works with, uh, but the audience is starting to catch on. Hey, there's something in the water here in New York and uh, let's pay attention to it.
1: The signature achievement for, for Carla at this time uh, is the, the jazz opera escalator mm-hmm. over the hill. Yeah. Um, wow. Which, which has this kind of, um, I don't know, how would you describe its reputation?
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if I can, man. It, it's kind of like, uh, he who hath ears, let him hear. Everybody yeah. <laughs> else find your own thing.
1: I have this album on LP, and when you spend time with this thing in its original format, you realize what an incredible dive into it. It insists. This is the opposite of the way we listen to music now with like, you know, one ear uh, while we're doing the dishes or whatever, like through a streaming service. Like this Truth. album really demands immersion because there's so mm-hmm. much happening. This thing has lyrics by Paul Haynes, the poet, mm-hmm. and it's really—it's it, really a libretto. It's coming out of this like countercultural moment. It's coming out of experimental tendencies, but at mm-hmm. times, it is as inside as it gets. And in fact, one of the tracks that that some people know, outside of the context of the thing, um, is a song with vocals by Linda Ronstadt, mm-hmm. the, the noted avant-gardist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh um, man. And it's called Why. that song it is very consonant connected to folklore you know Mm -hmm. and it's also connected to a kind of popular music urge but then you hear the horns kind of bubbling up and and being raucous and you know so there's just this weird moment when someone like Linda Ronstadt would be on this like ungovernable Avant-garde jazz opera
0: (laughs) right right, but you think about it isn't that the age-old argument folks who stay in their lane Get discovered at some time or other folks who change it up a bunch unless you have um, a ton of money uh, It's hard for you. You're in it for the long haul. It's the securitist path and I think that's really one of the reasons besides being um, an independent woman, that Carla Blake cannot land uh, a major label recording deal. Um, at, w- at one point, it almost seems like, you know, you throw a rock and anyone can get a re- record deal. But she doesn't. She has to, She's forced into independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, in my opinion, her scope is so broad and so wide. It's not one thing. It's all of these things, like you've stated.
1: And that label, which still exists, is called Watt Records, yeah. W-A-T-T. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, because Watt has been distributed by ECM for so long, people have, have sort of assumed that Carla Blake was an ECM artist. Yeah. I think she deserves so much credit for really being on the forefront of that independent label idea so long ago.
0: A really cool thing happens to her in 1972. She gets a Guggenheim Fellowship. It's a cool embrace by the critical community. Um, but again, it's a system of having to, you know, put these resources back into the product. Uh, and early on, Manfred Eicher at ECM is actually seeking distribution through right. Carla's situation. But yeah. she won't, he won't sign Carla, which is <laughs> kind of weird when you know when the, <laughs> where the story ends. Right, right. Maybe
1: this is a good moment to acknowledge that Carla Blay is an unusual character yeah (laughs) she's she's, she is she she she's so the definition of a sort of maverick artistic personality Mm -hmm. um and and has always been so right and so um you mentioned it right that this idea of like if we can't pigeonhole you then we can't sell you right you know i have a sort of theory um maybe it's half formed but tell me what you think of this when i Reflect on the music that she's making especially in the 70s, right? So Mm -hmm. with her own ensembles Also working with Charlie Hayden in the Liberation Music Orchestra, which she conducts um, There's this aesthetic that I associate with her like Mm -hmm. it's this idea of an experimental artist who is deeply grounded in the craft like Mm -hmm. really understands the history and the and the vocabulary of a tradition but is out to do something that's a little off
0: yeah you
1: know? and it is inherently political but it's not mm-hmm. stridently so it's kind of like it's kind of looking at you sideways yeah you know what i mean
0: i'm gonna call it punk jazz and i get that <laughs> from uh the late great jaco Pastorius, yeah, who yeah, i'm a huge course. fan of obviously but when you hear his big band recording circa 81 and 82, his short-lived big band project, the nucleus and the nexus of that creative idea, I really think is summed up in Carla Bley. And I'm not knocking Jocko or his arrangers, but she was really the prototype for this thing. We keep talking about it inside, outside, but somehow every so often, you can uh, snap your fingers or bob your head to it, man. That's That's punk. That's yeah. what that is.
1: That's interesting um and you know it, it's funny cuz i think of Jocko's big band as being pretty squarely in this kind of mainstream idea like it was it was hmm. funky but it's not it's not out quote unquote right That's uh, fair. and so that there's an interesting thing about Carla which is that because of her early affiliation you know with the October Revolution and mm-hmm. because you know she enlists someone like Gato Barbieri to be sort of the wailing tenor on some of her recordings yeah. there's this like avant-garde association that clings to her mm-hmm. you know like like uh yeah. like she's been on a hike and there's like some burrs sticking to like the, the hem of her of her pants or something you true, know true, because she's true. she it's funny she is and isn't an avant-garde when you mm-hmm. t- were talking about jaco's band i was thinking some of the musicians who really made themselves at home in carla's bands were people like lou soloff yep. trumpeter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. howard johnson Mm-hmm. These are musicians who can really play anything, but mm-hmm. they're not like outcats. I think this goes to that, that punk jazz idea you mentioned. It, it's mm-hmm. subversive, right? It's inherently yes. subversive. Yes. That's the word. I think there's a, a, a piece that really speaks to what we're talking about, and it's a really celebrated piece of big band orchestration. It's from a, an album she released called Big Band Theory in mm-hmm. 1993. Um, And it's got Lou Soloff, it's got Andy Shepard and Gary Valente, and and this, this track is called On the Stage in Cages.
0: first thoughts steve swallow uh amazing bounce mm-hmm. in in his uh in his bass i heard some uh monk and mingus ish yep. swing in there and and again i don't know if they knew about it but i heard a little of that uh oakland funk thing in there too <laughs> mixed in i, yeah, I don't know right. in well, the water
1: there's there's that like um i don't know if you'd call it point a list or, or whatever but you're, you're seeing like these little fragments and mm-hmm. they revealed to you one at a time it's mm-hmm. kind of pinging pinging around in the mix and you're like oh uh, okay here's a little piece and here's a little piece and like gradually this picture emerges and then all of a sudden you're in it uh, when she wants to she can do a bassy thing you know like she she can go there yeah. she can do bassy she can do Ellington um, and and she can also sound like a you know like a carnival that's is rolling into town. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah.
0: As you know, time progresses, um, the different ensembles that she chooses, a couple of the smaller ones, uh, the Lost Chords, mm-hmm. and then the trio specifically. Uh, with Andy Shepard and, and Steve uh, Swallow, being able to interpret big band music as a small group is a certain discipline because you have to know what you can leave out and what is essential. And it isn't always the most obvious choice. Um, but they and their expert um, knowledge of just, not just harmony and theory, but Carla's music can still bring to life you know pieces like we've heard and even the more classic repertoire like Uh, Vashkar, Mm -hmm. and make it still sound like it was written just for that ensemble. That's a serious skill that these cats have.
1: We should maybe pause for a moment to talk about her piano playing, because the trio is where that really, you know, by necessity, it kind of takes center stage. And, you know, I I really love her piano playing, but she is, you know, I I think it's safe to say that she is primarily a composer who plays um, rather than a player who composes. Mm -hmm. Um, But she has such an identity on the instrument get all of that insight especially when it comes to like voice leading and you know just the way that she moves you know improvises through Mm -hmm. a form Yeah, it's very informed by that big brain of hers
0: it's interesting though what she had to say about her piano playing when she talked to you at at big ears
1: yeah yeah this was um 2019 this is the the most recent time that I saw her perform in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was at the Big Ears Festival as part of a 50th anniversary celebration for ECM. So the trio played at the Knoxville Theater. um, And uh, immediately after the performance, Mm -hmm. um, Sarah Gilletti from Jazz Night in America and myself joined Carla and Steve in a dressing room. Um, to talk about their music and to talk about ECM. And uh, yeah, there was a moment when I made the point that Carla's music inhabited this kind of third space. And she
2: surprised me with her response. Uh, This is what she said. I'd like to fit in with the normal people, the normal jazz musicians. I'd like to be able to play like uh, Larry Willis or something. I would like to have the repertoire of um Steve knows all the names. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, You're on your own car. Anyway, I just wish I could be more I don't want to be different anymore. When I was a kid I wanted to be different. If someone liked books I would say books are no good. And um but now I I like books. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and she's obviously having a little fun with me there, but yeah. I, I think she is aware of the fact that she was a bit of a contrarian really all her life, but especially mm-hmm. in her youth. Mm-hmm. And this notion that she is, she actually has come around to the idea of wanting to fit in in some way. She was very moved by her acknowledgement as an NEA jazz master. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of surprised me Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, here I I, I just think Carla Blais is is always too hip for the rest of us. (laughs) You know? Like, she doesn't care about that stuff. She doesn't Mm -hmm. need to belong, you know? But it really meant a lot to her to be considered a part of the jazz family.
2: I never knew anything was spectacular until I would read about it years later. Even when I was living in New York, I was told later by journalists that it was an incredibly exciting time, and I had no idea. I was just trying to uh, learn about music and uh, p- pay the rent. I didn't know it was so as wonderful as it was. So I don't think I've ever known how exciting my life has been until after I've done it. So that
1: was Carla Bley at the... 2015 NEA Jazz Masters ceremony, speaking with our producer Simon Rentner for the checkout. All those years, it seemed like Carla was on ECM, and she actually wasn't. Right. Um, when we were in Knoxville, she talked about that a bit, um, because in 2013, with the album Trios, she was actually signed to ECM.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, and they always come back
1: it came as news to a lot of people because you know they Mm -hmm. they sent out an announcement oh carla blaze signs to ecm and people were like wait what (laughs) (laughs) this is news um but but here's what she had to say about it Mm
2: -hmm. this is the first time any record company ever asked me to make an album for it the ecm thing what if i had died when i was 25 years old i wouldn't have hardly existed, musically speaking. It took me many, many years to get to the point where a record company, ECM in this case, said, yeah, you could make this album for us. Because I remember we we distributed ECM for quite a while, and then we were distributed by ECM, both of those extremes, and During the time when we were distributed by ECM, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And some of it was that scruff of the neck stuff where Manfred was just dragged into quiet storm music (laughs) and just took it like a man. (laughs) It was (laughs) wonderful. I like disturbing him, too.
0: Man, it's a real trip to think about Carla Blay messing with Manfred Eicher. (laughs) I mean, I've never met Manfred, but his his reputation precedes him. Yeah. Um, Just uh, a a stickler for detail, in the best ways. But uh, as she said there, her sense of humor would not be deflated. Uh, She was gonna egg him on just as much.
1: Well, she yeah. she she messes with everybody else. Why not mess with him? <laughs> <laughs> right? On the real. She's funny, you mm-hmm. know. It's like mm-hmm. that that sense of humor um, and and the kind of pointedness of it um, right. has always been part of the equation. You know, mm-hmm. you think about. Um, is there another jazz musician who has done more work with anthems (laughs) Uh, whether it's america the beautiful or you know take me out to the ball game or um an entire album of of christmas carols which i love (laughs) i Um,
0: i think i think she's our answer to andy kaufman because she's laughing (laughs) inside and we're just like what the hell is this but you know anyhow that's
1: totally i mean kaufman is is spot on just setting you a little bit on edge you know Mm -hmm. so that you don't know exactly where she's coming from or what to expect
0: that's right we want to wish her a happy birthday much love and respect carla blay we thank you we want to let you know folks that our uh, segment This I Dig is available on our show page again this is jazz united yours truly greg bryant along with nate chinin our editorial director our producer today is simon Rentner of the checkout we want to encourage you to subscribe to jazz united wherever you get your podcast apple Podcasts, stitcher um, wbgo.org and indeed remember we are listener supported if you'd like to lend that support wbgo.org support thank you so much